three. A three. The topic we will be discussing today, as determined by your die roll, is... Ooh. How do you handle doors in dungeons? This <laughs> was a question we've all been nervous about so ever since it was added by Jessica Snyder way back in episode 6. Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic. My name is Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And this week we are joined by special guest Al McWilliams. Hello. Here Hello. I am. Thank you so much for coming on. Al, we met at the uh, Ann Arbor Library's um, RPG Fest right at the end of it. Um, you were running um, D&D right next to me, and your setup was much more elaborate than what I had, which was basically just like a piece of paper, but you had like <laughs> full map and minis and stuff like that, <laughs> which is really well, great. And, yeah. and, you know, I have to say that was all Gordy. Um, okay. I was, uh, we were speed round handoff tag teaming that. Uh, I think Gordy invented something that day, uh, D&D speed round, but it was fun. Yeah. Ran one hour one shots or, well, really 55 minute one shots with to a bunch of new players yeah gordy's your business partner with guild is that your connection with him and he's also your your gm gordy and i started uh this company called guild together and he is honestly more of the dm than i am uh i do as much of it as i'm allowed to um but you know <laughs> i kind of just copy what he does um yeah. but i play a ton way more than my wife wants me to so i think we should have some interesting takes on things from yeah from that aspect so do you do you play with the same group all the time, or do you bounce around in uh, different ones? Cr- this is crazy. I'm actually currently playing in four long-term campaigns that oh meet uh, a couple of times a month. Some of them are once a month, and some of them are a couple of times a month. So I That's again, Anna Anna did not know what she was agreeing to, and she said, "Sure, you can play in another <laughs> game." So yeah, so I play in a game that. Um, I play in two games that one guy DMs, but they're two separate campaigns. And then another one with a whole nother group of people that that DM plays in. And then another one, James, who's our, our designer here and designs all the guild stuff. He DMs and that one just started. So yeah, so it's a ton of play, tons of playing with three different DMs. Plus I DM a game for fifth graders. They just changed grade. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. So, uh, and then I usually do a lot of the one shots. So um, we started that Ann Arbor Slack channel um, to try to get, I mean, it's pretty inactive right now because a lot of campaigns started out of it. Yeah. Um, hence why I'm in four right now. Yeah. Uh, and um, so I'll usually do the one shots that come out of that. And then like a group will spin off and like get their own campaign. That's super great. So, oh, that's Is that Slack group like just mostly open to anyone who's looking for yeah. groups in Ann Arbor? Okay. Yeah. Just invite people in. Um, okay. Yeah, that's kind of, we were, again, we're, we were just two years ago playing in one campaign with a lot of people who couldn't get together that often. So I was playing once every two months and really wanting to play a lot more D&D and just couldn't get my fix. And so we were like, there's got to be more people that want to play, right? And so we did that, we started that Slack channel and then that spun up a little bit. And now, you know, like I said, I'm in, I'm playing plenty now and i think some other folks are there's some other little pods that have kind of spun off of it so it's pretty cool yeah you when you had mentioned it to to us at the rpg fest so i poked my head in and like you know it seemed like when someone shows up there's sort of a peak of activity and stuff. exactly like, yeah, yeah something like immediately got organized right there like it was a right. really cool thing thing to watch happen it was pretty like low um low stress too i think for folks who are just like well how do i start playing this like you can just show up there and someone will someone will welcome you with open arms yeah, and there's certainly, I mean, I think just from, by reason of the platform, like Slack is not designed to have a public D&D find a group thing going. It's like just not for that. Um, so for those of us like me who are on Slack all day anyway, um, it's a really good way to get things together. But for people who don't work at an office where they have to have Slack open all day, you know, they don't. Once once you get 20 notifications in a day, you turn those notifications off, <laughs> yes, and then yeah. you never remember to check it because it's just one more place you have to check, right? So yeah. um, so there is that challenge with the Slack channels. Like, keeping it active really requires someone to be kind of like the cheerleader and champion, and, and you know, I just don't think that there's 
that is kind of intermittent, right? Mm-hmm. When somebody needs a game, then it's like there's activity because they're like, I need a game. And then yeah. once they get one, it kind of dies off again. So Yeah. It's interesting. Um, it's like D&D feels like it's a series of social and communication and organizational problems, much less so than like a – you know, fight monsters sort of thing. I guess especially right, when you're yeah. dealing with adults. Yeah. What's the the meme? Um, that's always uh, there's like ten incarnations of the meme where it says, you know, CR thirty is the terrasse and CR thirty one is scheduling a D and D session. <laughs> nice. Um, nice. Yeah. And it's I've seen like twenty different versions of it because everybody thinks of the same joke. Um, but it's a good joke. So yeah, it's a true joke. That's that's what's going yeah. On. There yeah. Is. So hey, the probably. The biggest thing on your mind for the last couple of weeks, I'm guessing, is that you are running a game-related Kickstarter, which by the time this episode airs will have wrapped up. And yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? This is kind of core to everything, like the whole existence of Guild is that we just kind of wanted some things to exist for ourselves and thought maybe other people would like them too. So we went into it. Everything we do with this project, we go in kind of thinking like, yeah, maybe somebody else thinks like this, but we don't know. So um, so some of that stuff is like little pieces of merchandise that we can just afford to just make, right? Like we have some DM pads and stuff that we wanted for ourselves. We just made extra and sold some, right? So, But that stuff we can afford to do. And we wanted to do like what part of what I love about D&D is this, um, I should say most of what I love, I think it's an essence of it, is this... Uh, is the nuance and the color and the character and the theme of everything, right? And so, like, the more you can immerse, the better. And, like, uh, you know, and at the end of the day, it's a relatively inexpensive hobby, you know? So, like, I'm I'm also a cyclist, and I can't walk into the bike store without spending <laughs> $300, right? But yeah. if I want to spend $300 on D&D stuff, I can pretty much buy the whole mini rack at Vault of Midnight, right? Like, and then, and still not find more, you know, and still not spend my whole 300 So. Um, so, you know, it, it gives us this leeway to create these really ultra specific purpose built things that, uh, you know, I'm playing a forged domain cleric in one of these games and I'm like, when I roll my wall of fire, which I use way more than I should, um, you know, when I roll that, like, wouldn't it be cool if I had like fire damage dice, right? Like that just looked like fire damage and had design for fire damage and they were the right, you know, I don't need it. I don't necessarily need the non-damage type dice and my D10s, I wish they said 1 through 10 for damage because I know what 0 means. But mm-hmm. again, the whole point is the color. We're all dressed up like elves in our friend's basement. So logic mm-hmm. and the most efficient way of doing things kind of went out the window, right? So, yeah. so I, so yeah, so we came up with damage dice and, you know, just by, so it's just a series of dice that is, uh, themed and styled to the type of damage they do. Um, and they come in sets with multiples of each of the die, uh, die size that you would use for damage. Um, so we have, see if I can list them all real fast. Uh, fire, <laughs> cold, uh, fire, cold, force, radiant, necrotic, thunder, acid, poison. Um, I'm missing two. Psychic. The psychic, psychic ones are my favorite. Yeah, the second one yeah. are pretty rad. Um, anyway, there's ten. And again, we had no idea whether anybody else was that into ultra specific, purpose built mm-hmm. things as we were. Um, so we th- put it up on Kickstarter. I have the luxury of uh, my day job being um, uh, working at an ad agency uh, with a great designer who also is one of our DMs, like I mentioned. So, uh, so he designed these dice and they look great. You know, we have access to studio equipment and. A digital marketing team and all this stuff. So we uh, put it up on Kickstarter with a five thousand dollar goal, thinking probably, maybe, yeah. <laughs> like I don't know. Uh, we've never done a Kickstarter before. It should be okay. Um, and then it went bananas. So mm-hmm. I've been, uh, yeah, pretty much just. It's insane how much work it is once they start going. Just to make sure you're communicating, keeping up with comments. Um, uh, adjusting the campaign from an ad spend wise. So we kicked in our digital marketing team into mm-hmm. full gear once it started going well. Um, but then also just like writing updates and coming up with stretch goals because we had not planned on <laughs> going yeah. that high. So yeah. I, we were like, James, um, can you design some more dice? We're going to need more dice. Um, and he's like, well, those last ones took me like a year to design. I'm like, well, you know, you got, I think you have like two days before yeah. we hit that number. So you better get going. Um, and then meanwhile, I'm on the phone 
sourcing everything because we can't post it until I know we can make it, right? So mm-hmm. um, sourcing it and costing, and it's like it's been more than a full-time job for the last like three weeks. So uh, wow. it's super yeah. fun, but man, it's intense. Yeah. It's it's really interesting. I mean, watching it because so you had mentioned it, I think, in that D and D Slack group, and like yeah. I saw it when it went up. I was like, oh, it's great. And then you hit your five thousand dollar goal. I was like, oh, that's really great. Like they're gonna be able to do it. Yeah. And then I checked back in a week later. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I can't imagine what you're feeling right now. Is it just like every every hour you're refreshing, or do you? Uh, try yeah. to... Dude, hour. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I guess it's generous. <laughs> hour. <laughs> like you don't. I can't see you right now because the window's up, and I'm just watching it go. Yeah, no, it's, it's been, I mean, the first couple big days, I mean, even those first few days when it, I think it was doing like about two or three K a day for the first couple of days. And that was blowing our minds. Like we yeah. were just like showing our friends that don't play D and D going like, this is for dice. Like, yeah. and they're like, what? That's insane. Like we had no idea that anyone would care, you know? And then as it started picking up, now I'm all bummed when we don't do like 10K in a day. I'm like, what do we do wrong today? You know? <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's just been, it's been crazy. Um, I think the, the biggest feeling I have, it's like, it's this, it's excitement, but it's also, it is so much work. And, you know, remembering that like, yeah, you know, the bigger that number gets, the more expectations people are going to have for us. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the same time, like that number really isn't as big as it looks. Right. Oh, so no. No, not at all. Um, th- that number starts scaling up and are the complexity of the project scales up the things that are happening that we had not planned for. So like when it was going to be in our wildest dreams, 50 grand, and we were going to get to pay for all the molds, right? So the difference between this thing and the other things that we just did was that we couldn't afford to do this without some cash. Like, we just yeah. didn't have the $50,000 to make all these molds, right? So so we were like, all right, well, let's do a Kickstarter for this one thing. And so as that scales up, uh, you know, we pan it. You know, we're like, oh, we got to make these stretch goals that we didn't plan for well so okay now james has two days to design them and i have one day to work out all the logistics before we promise it and price it and cost it out and figure out what we can deliver and what is the fulfillment cost and will our fulfillment provider actually do like you know one of each thing instead of two of each thing or instead of in sets and like can i get it over here in time and like and so i've done you know, I did the original logistics over the course of a couple of months. And then these new stretch goal logistics are like Mm -hmm. a couple of days I did those in and I'm better at it now. And I think it's going to go pretty well, but it's not going to be as efficient. It's going to cost more. And, um, and so it's really about, you know, Hey, it's a big number, which means expectations are higher. And, and the, you know, the DC is a lot higher too. So, (laughs) Um, yeah. and I think the, and the cost is a lot higher. So we're going to be, I mean, we're going to, I certainly, I think do okay. I don't want to ever sound like we're like, oh man, we got all this yeah. money, damn yeah. it. <laughs> um, cause that's annoying. Um, but it certainly is not like sit back and just like watch the cash like dump on us. Right. Yeah. I think anyone who's tried to sell something before sort of understands that like the position you're in, it's like, <laughs> yes, it's great. But also, Oh goodness. Like you have other stuff you want to do with your life. You know? like, yeah. Like 50% yeah. of that is going to fulfillment like off the top. And then we mm-hmm. have an ad. Sp- we spend a, we got a serious ad campaign going on to make that number happen. That has to get been like, Oh wait, well, James, the designer isn't technically a founder of the company. And you know, mm-hmm. I think we should probably pay him because he did the, designs yeah he did them as part of his day job for this other company and like you know we should probably pay that company so they can pay him um and it's it's convenient because it's all the same people but at the same time like it's it's not like all it's not all marshmallow right it sounds like you at least did all of your homework in advance um i've backed quite a few different rpg kickstarters including a couple uh, you know that got fantastically successful and there's that excitement as it hits its first goal and you're like yes all right this is going to happen and then but once it passes a certain level of extreme success you start getting nervous i'm like i i hope yeah. that <laughs> I, I hope that they are ready to to deal with this <laughs> so. yeah and and that's the so like the other thing is we've so this ad agency is actually my ad agency and we've been in business for 16 years now this that's painful um <laughs> a long time and and we've worked with clients that make everything you could ever imagine. And, 
Um, and we've had our own product and we've made product overseas and we've delivered and I know what margin is and I know how to like calculate margin. So it's like, it really is not, there's nothing really that we're doing here for the first time except Kickstarter. Like Kickstarter is the first time we've done it, but like we've been running a web store. We know how to like, we know what our fulfillment costs are. We know that we're not going to get stuck. You know, I know a lot of Kickstarters that I've backed have ended up getting stuck on fulfillment costs because they're like, oh, wow, we can't have, you know, 40 pallets shipped to my mom's house. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> There's no room They have the to go to a warehouse somewhere that has a loading dock and a, and a forklift. And because people are just, oh, we'll just do it like a party and get some pizza and like pack all the boxes. And it's just, it's just not, that doesn't work, right? It works for 100 units. It doesn't work for 10,000 units. So. So it occurs to me we didn't actually identify by name this Kickstarter. So this is the damage, oh, yeah. the damaged dice Kickstarter, right? And by the time this episode airs, the Kickstarter will have, uh, barring some sort of freak incident, uh, ended <laughs> with uh, a massively successful level. And are these dice be- after the the Kickstarter backers get their dice? Are these dice going to be available to the public? Are you uh, not sure about yeah. that yet? Yeah, they are. So we're going to do, um, obviously backers are going to get theirs first. We have a super aggressive delivery timeline on these. I think we're going to do it. It might be a day or two, four days late or something, but it's, it's going to be better than like a year. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. We're not dealing with that. Like we pushed it aggressive to try to be in 29 cause we're December delivery. So it's like if we move to January to be safe, it would have been a year later in people's minds and we didn't want to do that. It's like, it might be the first week in January, not the last week in December, but it's going to yeah. be, but we're, we're pretty good on that. Uh, you know, everything has already been vetted and it's, it's timelines are solid. And then, yeah. And then after that, we'll, we'll probably get them up to the public pretty soon after the backer delivery. Um, although not, I'm not super worried about getting that up really fast because, uh, you know, we're coming out of the holiday season. We're going to hit January and it's going to be e-commerce uh dead zone so yeah for yes. sure. <laughs> uh so we're kind of looking at you know late february early march um mm-hmm. for public availability on this stuff um and then and we're also going to launch a retail campaign for them so you know ideally we'll have this stuff in um in some game shops around the country um oh, that's you know i think it has a good brand behind it uh as far as the, like even the packaging design is pretty great so um uh thanks james um <laughs> So, so yeah, so like, I think it would be super cool to walk into your game store. I think it makes a cool display. So one of the things that, you know, we have to sell them as sets because our fulfillment costs are per piece. So, you know, if you buy one die, it's 450. If you buy six die, it's also 450. So, (laughs) um, you know, it's like, we just can't go smaller than that really. Um, but retail stores totally could. So like if we do a display where they, you know, rip open a box and they have all the damage types up there and yeah. people could kind of like build their own set. Cause we've had a lot of requests for build your own set. And it's like, we just can't do that, um, logistically, uh, but a retail store could. So that, I think that's a good way for us to offer retail stores an advantage over the e-commerce, which, you know, they really like, right. When you yeah. can say like, yeah, you can buy these online, but not. You can't build your own set online. That they can only do at Vault of Midnight or whatever. So, yeah, I would wish you luck. Except uh, your campaign is already well on its way to success. So I wish you luck with the fulfillment. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, hearing Still from you, I do. It is making more sense. A number of Kickstarter campaigns I backed recently. As soon as it, as the campaign finished, the creator of the campaign would send out an email saying. Hey, you know, thanks for your support, everyone. We'll start working on this, but I'm gonna. But we're taking a whole week off uh, before we get and, <laughs> yes. and hearing you talk, yeah. I think I understand a little bit more why you would need to do that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there, I'm a little better now. The first couple big days, I did not sleep a lot. It's just hard mm-hmm. to right because it's yeah. it is a very cool thing that it's this idea that like oh man, there's like a thousand other people that mm-hmm. also wanted that thing that we thought it was just uh, right like it's just this oh, very yeah. cool like oh man yeah there's other people like me that's amazing and and you get it's hard to to kill that excitement so i was playing in a 7c campaign and at one point i was like i want to spend some money and get some like really nice 7c 
dice. Like this is like this is gonna be great. I'm gonna like you know, drop fifty bucks on it and get like a really great set. And there just wasn't anything. Yeah. Right. So I think like going back to a point that you'd mentioned about like you know this just doesn't exist yet. And so bringing it into the world is is really interesting. So I think you like when you're playing these games, you have a natural inclination to want to accessorize. Right? Yeah. That's why people get like mini figs and they like want to go buy dice that they feel like represent their character. They want to dress up, have a have a character voice and stuff. But then you get to the point where you're rolling damage dice right and then like you have nothing that really represents <laughs> yeah what and like, character is yeah i think there's there's two big parts of that that you really hit on um and the one is that combat i think you the sometimes it's, it's hard to keep your rp up in combat right and like i always because this is where the world i live in i always call it like staying on brand instead of staying in character right like you yeah like you build these characters and you get into them and you're like yeah, I know I should take Fireball because everybody should take Fireball because why wouldn't you take Fireball? But but this character is like, this is a Shatterkai Bladesinger. Like, they're not going to throw Fireball. They're going to be a psychic and cold damage and necrotic damage kind of wizard, right? And like, mm-hmm. and you build that character up to do that and then you get into combat and you want to like, the, the damage types you're doing become part of your character. And I think... Yeah, if I could, if I could spend eighteen dollars to like throw dice that stay in character and have a big handful of them, like instead of doing one die over and over again, um, yeah, of course I, I have eighteen dollars. I will totally do that, right? Yeah, and like again, especially you know when we talk about adults in the game, like you like your other expenses in your life are so much greater, right? Like buying an entry level bike is going to cost more than I will ever <laughs> spend on D and D if I like if I buy everything that I want that I find ever, right? Yeah, so I want to go back to something you had mentioned earlier, just very briefly. Um so you said that you run a game for fifth graders? I do. Tell us about that. So Andy has a particular interest, I know, in running games for kids because he has has some kids who are around the age of of wanting to play D anD. d My my daughter's too young right now, but I'm anxiously waiting <laughs> her to be older for that. So the odd thing is, I don't have any children. Um, okay. I have let's see, point seven children. So Anna's due in two months. Oh, oh congrats! Um, congrats in December. Right about when we're trying to fulfill the Kickstarter. Yeah, um, that'll work yeah. out. Uh, so I just, the group of friends that I play a lot of D&D with, Gordy and um, some of the guys in the other campaigns, they they all have various ages of children, and they all kind of took an age game. And there was, like, the fourth graders left, and my fourth graders turned into fifth graders. But there were, like, the fourth graders left, and they are like, Al, you're playing in four games. You're not DMing any. You're not pulling your weight. Yes. Fourth graders. <laughs> um, so I have I have a game for fourth graders that and the first couple games were interesting. I definitely so, so kind of if I had to break it down into three bullet points of like what I've learned DMing for fourth graders or, and now fifth graders is that uh, small group good. Um, I think that you know as adults. Five, six players is totally great, a great game uh, for the kids. So what we did was we had like eight kids, but only a fraction of them ever show up, and we just kind of dealt with it. And so the games where we have four players are awesome. And then when it goes to five and six, it spirals fast. Um, (laughs) So that's like, I would say like, even three, I think even three players, because they're, the attention spans are shorter. Um... You know, and and honestly, there's more. They're not quite as comfortable with themselves yet, and they're mm-hmm. they're still kind of like showboating for their friends a little bit. And like, um, and I think the fewer people you've got, the less of that happens. And and they actually enjoy the game a lot more, and they they open up a lot more, which is, I think, for kids, kind of the whole value of it. Right? Is like yeah. getting folks to just open up. It's the value for adults too, but. Um, but you really watch it happen with the kids. So, so that's the one big thing. The other big thing is I simplified magic a little bit um, mm-hmm. for them. And I, I instated a... Cause, so at first, we were just kind of ignoring spell slots altogether. We are just like, yeah, eh, cast some spells. Like, if you're going too crazy with the same spell, I'll make you stop doing it. But, like, I mean, I'm not, like, I'm not holding fast to rules at all. Like, you're not, like, I'm not... Well, nope, you are, I'm sorry, that was, uh, you cast too many of those spells today. Um, yeah. So, cause I want them to have fun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I decided that, but spell slots are kind of like what 
puts a little bit of fun into it because you have to think about what you're doing and not mm-hmm. just do it, right? So I instated a just basically I color coded all their spells. Did okay. Here's your help spells, your damage spells, mm-hmm. and your or no, it's control spells, damage spells, and help spells, and then gave them poker chips for oh, nice. spell slots, right? So they could just like you have a stack of poker chips. When they're gone, they're gone, right? And you know this column has cost two poker chips. This column costs one poker chip because they want to they want to level up. Um, but they're, they don't know all of the stuff they can do even at their current level. So you're like, well, I guess you can level up, but that's just more stuff for you to not use, uh, yeah. not know what to do with. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. And then the third thing is, is like the parents have to help you. So, you know, especially as someone who isn't a parent of anyone in the game, if the parents spent even 10 minutes with them before the game going over their character sheet hey, this is what your spells do. Mm. They have so much more fun. And if they show up and they're just like opening up their character sheet and it's their dad printed it off Orc Pub, so it's got like six pages to it and it's not <laughs> organized and they didn't organize it themselves and they're just like, I don't know. And, and they don't, and then they don't have fun, right? Because it's, yeah. it's not fun when you don't know what you're doing. It's yeah. watching a sport on TV that you don't know the rules to, right? It's just not interesting <laughs> or fun. So it's giving me flashbacks to piano lessons. <laughs> yeah, it's like same, same concept. It's like, yeah, if like my parents didn't help me do it, it wouldn't have happened at all. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and it takes, I mean, they're kids, right? Like in 10 or 15 minutes, they will, absorb everything you tell them about that like they will get it it's just you have to spend the 10 minutes right and so you know if if i sent an email before the games like hey everybody can you help your kid level up here's how to do it like i know you all play D and know how to do it so (laughs) um so yeah that's the big thing is just uh, uh simplified magic uh oh and then i get there's little things like um we vanquish. I, I I try to keep humanoids out of it. So like we fight spiders and ghosts and slimes and stuff like that. I don't do yeah. a lot of uh, human killing or humanoid yeah. killing. Um, and then we vanquish things instead of kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, not something that I worried about when I was a kid. You know, I started playing when I was probably about ten. But um, but I don't know. Like when you're dealing with other people's children, you're like, I don't know what they do in their house. Yeah. So this yeah. is a safe way to make sure we're not. Um, we're not stepping over anybody's boundaries, right? And and they yeah. don't even know they don't notice at all, right? Care. Like, yeah. there's no kid gonna raise his hand and be like, "Um, I want to <laughs> kill some people." Yeah. yeah, can we can we murder something with arms, please? <laughs> yeah. No, that's really that's really thoughtful. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if if one of my kids were playing your game, it would make me feel pretty good to hear that because yeah, everybody's family boundaries are a little bit different. So I have to say, I've been running games for like a couple decades now, and. Uh, I still couldn't really tell you how the D and D magic system works. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, my ears uh, perked up when you were describing your simplified system, which sounds very nice, by the way. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's I should say it's not like a system. It's just like uh, here's a stack of poker chips. Like literally, spend them because they're not going to keep track on their paper, right? Like um, keeping track of hit points is basically as much as I can expect, and then. <laughs> Even that's yeah. a, a lot of math. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I've also learned, oddly, that, like, you got to temper what, like, what your reward system is because, like, the things that get them excited is not the things that would work in an adult table, right? So, like, hmm. I stole the last campaign. It was, like, an impromptu thing, and, like, most of the kids weren't there. So I was like, I'll just do, like, an off-campaign thing, and we'll do a one-shot, and it'll be fine. Um, and so I just essentially stole... One of the campaigns I'm playing in is Tomb of Annihilation. So I had like all these just random kind of traps and things that happened. And I was like, I'll just do like a series of these traps from Tomb of Annihilation. And, and there was one, I don't know if you guys have played it. Uh, so spoiler alert for Tomb of Annihilation. It's not a big spoiler, but there's a, there's a fountain. And if you drink from it, you roll a d4. And one of the effects uh, is you change gender. Um, like if you roll a three, you just change gender from whatever you were and you can drink again and try to get another three and change back if you want to. That killed. That was like the greatest. Oh yeah. All the cool stuff I thought I had planned, like the fountain that made you turn into a girl or a boy was just 
like legendary. They still talk about it. And <laughs> whereas like when that came up in our adult game, we were kind of like, well, that's obnoxious. <laughs> like, yes. It's kind of fun, but like, okay, how do we get back to where we were? <laughs> Cause that yeah. was irrelevant. Yeah. But the kids <laughs> just lost it for that. Yeah. Well, um, let's, uh, let's bring our actual topic. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> right? You're All like right. a half an hour in at this point. Yeah. So the, the topic you rolled was, um, how do you handle doors and dungeons? So if you want to, so I know you like, you play quite a bit. It sounds like you GM some too. So if anyone has like a great story about a door and a dungeon, the, the floor is open. Right <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess my question, I would, I would throw a quick question back at you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we want to handle, how do we want to handle questions about handling doors and dungeons? Um, are <laughs> we talking like what is an approach as a DM to make them interesting instead of mm-hmm. just like there is a door, it is locked? Or is that, um, as a player, you come to a door, it is locked. What is, you know, yeah. like what goes on? Yeah, I think the my read on this question, and I'm remembering back because Jessica was on back in episode six, so this was months and months ago. But I, I think, I think my read on it was the thought was like, so what do you do when there's sort of a like a gate in the in the dungeon, right? So there's something that like you have to go through mm-hmm. in order to advance the story, or there's something that's sort of like gating off something else um, in the dungeon. Yeah, so like, uh, you know, a door can be a very just like physical thing. Like, yeah, like, okay, it's a door. I have to pick the lock to get through it, you know, or it could be, you know, there is a, you know, a boulder in front of a, you know, a, you know, boulder in front of a cave that we have to push to get, you know, get past um, something like that. Or there's just, you know, a guard standing there who's not going to let you through unless you do something <laughs> to them, you know? So there's, there's, there's kind of like, I think all those elements that go into this question, you know, as a GM, you know, doors, seems like a silly overly specific question but this is one of those elements of a dungeon or any sort of dungeon like environment where you have to make quite a few gm calls on the spot like which way does the door open how noisy is the door is it reasonable that the pcs could uh poke their heads you know open it a couple inches and peek through there's a lot of like little like nitty-gritty practical questions that aren't answered when your adventure notes or your pre-written adventure just says the door, you know, there's a door here and it's locked. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, yeah, it's yeah. like a bottleneck because, you know, depending on those, the answers to those questions, is it locked? Which way does it open? Can you hear through it? Can you look underneath it? You know, that sort of thing. It has a big effect on how people move through the dungeon. It can be like a massive uh, momentum killer, you know, but it can also be an interesting, an interesting point. That's it is actually now that you talk about it like that it's like wow this at first thought sounded like a pretty mundane question and now I'm mm-hmm. like oh wow yeah this is like <laughs> a, a really cool deep element um, of everything we do when I was younger I don't have any like great door uh, stories but uh, when I was younger doors were like kind of a, a challenge for me as a GM and they. Because I never had a good sense of how they um, affected, like, tactical combat. So what ended up happening a lot, like, with my friends is they would station themselves on either side of a door and, like, lure something through and ambush it. And it always, it was a very effective tactic, but I always felt like I was letting them get away with a little bit too much. But I didn't understand, you know, what a door did to, like, a, a combat that spread across multiple rooms. Yeah, no, that's, it's super interesting now that I think about it. Cause I'm instantly thinking of like, oh yeah, there's all these situations that I've been on both sides of the screen for where a door was like kind of a big deal. Yeah. They're kind of, I, Jess, you said came up with this question. Yeah. Yeah. Jess Snyder. Yeah. yeah. Way to go, Jess. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, she's absolutely right. It's like, I hadn't even thought about it, but in their, in their heart, they're hard to run. The thing I always fall back on, and this is a this is one of those lessons from D and D that you can take to your everyday life, um, yeah. <laughs> is like you always fall back on your goal, right? And so, like yeah. as a DM, you always have like a, your goal is always that everybody has fun, and then right behind that is like in order to get them to have fun, there is some like bullet points I I want them some information I need them to get or some some goals I need them to hit within this campaign to like move it forward or get going. And so you're like, you can get there in any way, but like sometimes like you really need them to get through that door. Right. Like 
there's something that they really need behind that door. Um, and so you have to balance that with like not forcing them to go through that door or not make it too easy or not make it too challenging. Like, you know, I'm not railroading you, but like it would really help my <laughs> whole story if you knew what was behind that door. And so, yeah. So like if you, when somebody asks you like, can I see under the door? It's like quickly bouncing that against what the goals are of the party. You know, like, mm-hmm. okay, well the party's trying to do this. Uh, and so it's kind of like that. If I were a computer, like, taking that input, putting it against the, checking it against the checklist, and then coming back with like a, yeah, you can totally see under that door. And then bouncing it off the players too. Like I think, um, I think the players, it's harder earlier in the campaign, but by the time you're in your fourth or fifth session, like everybody's kind of settled into their character and their play style. And you know, like, you know, I, I guess that's what I love about the, uh, about, just playing in general is that you you get this like upward spiral of creativity Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, someone will be like, can I look under the door? And then you're like, sure. Yeah. You can totally (laughs) look under the door. Um, It's it's sort of like, it's bringing that basic like yes. And from improv into the, Mm -hmm. into the world where you're like, the answer is almost always yes. Unless it's something really, as long as it's a creative thing that you haven't thought of. So like, it's almost the definition of them taking a creative approach is that it was a thing you hadn't already thought of an answer to. So like if they're like, can I look under the door? And you're like, you know what? I haven't thought of that. So absolutely. Um, and then, and then in, in them looking under the door, it gives you time to think about what What they they see see? and like how that happens. But it really does become a yes. And between the DM and the characters. And then one of the other characters can be like, okay. And while they're looking under the door, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like try to kick the the door jam open and like mm-hmm. um, whatever. Uh, I I'm thinking specifically about a situation. I was a player. We were playing uh, Waterdeep uh, Dragon Heist mm-hmm. um, early, like session two or three or something. And I had never in all my characters ever played anything other than any martial class. I, this is my first martial class. I was playing a Goliath Barbarian. Super fun. I'm fully on board with martial classes now. They're amazing to play. But it was like I was just kicking down all the doors, right? Like anytime yeah. there's a door, like I'm going to kick it down. So why wouldn't I kick that door down? Um, and it, so it became a thing. And then, um, and then the DM was able to like two doors later – there was a whole cool thing that happened because I kicked the door down and they knew that was going to happen. And, and the other mm-hmm. players were able to start doing things like I knock on the door really nicely and get the guard to come up to look through the people. And then I kick the door down. Right. Yeah. And so you get these nice, again, this nice like build of story elements and character elements that kind of build on the fact that there's a door there and, and everybody kind of is reading off of what the other characters are, are doing and what they've done in the past and what they've done. So, one thing I found, especially when I was younger, is uh, I ran a mix of like adventures I wrote and then pre-published ones. And what I often found in pre-published adventures that had like dungeon-type environments is that the dungeon and scenario designers would tend to treat um, like new. They would tend to assume that your party was all going through the door as a group and entering. Th- the next room as if they were all moving as a group into like the next level of a video game or something. And so you would get text like when the party enters this room, they see that there's a, you know, a cult, you know, a cultist doing some right over in the corner and there's a minotaur. And, but what I found was that that didn't usually match the tactical reality of what the players were doing in the dungeon where there would often be someone was like scouting ahead and the rest of the party yeah. was like a good ways behind or just situations in which the party was not stepping into uh, the dungeon room and through the door like they were just entering the next scene in a movie or a play. And so that always hmm. struck me as like not the best kind of game and scenario design, but it's, you know, it's, I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? It's really interesting that you mentioned that because I was, I was thinking about like Al, what you were saying like a door is almost an improv prompt like whereas like a combat is a combat like we know sort of how to do that but you hit a door and it's like well are you going to open it or not 
and then it opens up to just like that kind of world of possibilities sort of sort of concept. So yeah, you you are trying sort of all all sorts of different things um like that but then like andy what you just said about like the door is sort of like a trigger for the next event as well <laughs> right it's like this door is like this very much this like possibility scape like so it's like anything could happen beyond that door like you as the gm probably know roughly like what's there to the players right who they're not looking at the map behind the screen right like there's gonna be literally anything behind that door it's like they don't know if it's gonna be the the boss they don't know if it's gonna be a big pit like they don't know if it's gonna be like a portal to another world like what whatever whatever it might be yeah so i think like when players approach it there's often some trepidation so unless they're playing you know the goliath barbarian they might want to try to knock and (laughs) you know yeah do things like yeah do things like that and try to figure out like what's on the other side of that what's on the other side of that door like you know what should i expect when i open this thing yeah so it's like it's like as the gm you actually have a kind of a lot of power in that situation to to guide them to like want to open the door like you mentioned l or to to not want to open it or to move on you mentioned looking at the map which i've thought a lot about the just the fact that we're playing on maps with minis a lot now um, and growing up, we never did, right? So mm-hmm. it was, D&D was usually three of us didn't have a lot of friends. Um, <laughs> sometimes two of us, like kind of sitting Indian style on the floor with a sheet of paper in front of us, right? Mm-hmm. And it was 100% theater of the mind. In fact, there wasn't really a ton of need for a DM screen even because what are you going to put behind it, right? Like yeah. your friend just kind of had his notebook tilted up a little, I mean, when you throw a map down with minis on it, all the focus goes on that, right? Like everybody mm-hmm. is looking at it. They can kind of see spatially where that, where things are. If there's a door, um, drawn on the map, like you know it's there without asking first. You can kind of tell how big the area is going to be <laughs> behind the door. You know, like there's a lot of things that you just, even if you're doing your best to not, to not be meta, like you subconsciously just can't not tell that there's a door drawn on the map there right mm-hmm. and that that the space behind it is not too large or very large right yeah um even if it's covered um so so i think that that does the the whole idea that now really most games i mean uh every game i play in and every game i've heard of like we play on a map on a grid with minis and mm-hmm. and all that stuff which which when we were coming up uh in second edition to date myself um (laughs) it was just called advanced uh then (laughs) um we didn't even think about playing on a map and so a door was like kind of wherever the dm made it up right so Mm -hmm. like there might not have been a door there when you walked into the room quote unquote um and then based on the way things went the dm was like and you see a door to your left right and it became this ability to kind of throw options in that you didn't plan out first and so you're almost improving the spatial area totally on top of improving the happening yeah yeah whereas that really i mean it can happen now it just it's not as common now because you're like playing on an actual like preset dungeon mm-hmm. map right i need to play in a, in a game where people use actual maps so i, I still play theater of the mind um, really at my tables yeah wow um which is good and bad usually we'll switch to minis on the table just to get kind of positioning yeah um, when combat is happening but uh like as a gm like i do really like the freedom of just like well we don't have time where there is an interest in doing this whole part of the dungeon right so there's just there's no door to go off in that direction <laughs> yeah, yeah. right you know so that is actually a very convenient kind of like um just pacing situation I think if I was doing a full map like that, I'd be like kind of mad if people didn't go through every door. (laughs) You know, like that, I think that's like kind of the tension with when you're GMing, right? Is like you have, you've prepared material. You would like them to use the material, right? You know, especially if you have a map and stuff, it's like, well, I mean, there's a room, like the room's really cool. Like I put a treasure chest and stuff in there. (laughs) You you should go, definitely go in there. I don't know. Yeah. I guess so maybe you could tell me. So in the games that you're playing in, when you get into a dungeon and like there's a full map and minis and stuff, is there an inclination to try to clear out the whole thing or do you, do you stop at some point or? Uh, yeah, so I, it's very dependent on the players, right? So like okay. I personally am a completionist for okay. sure, right? Like if yeah. I'm playing a video game and we walk by, like, you know, like I can't, it's really hard for me to play Skyrim because I am collecting every herb as we go by, even 
200 hours into the game where you're like, I know I don't need those. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> eh, yeah. Eh, eh. Uh, and so, so yeah, so for, for most of the games I'm in, the players I'm with who are of that breed as well, yeah, like we're going to go check out every, we're going to, even yeah. if we're like, I feel like there's, something going on here that we haven't found yet like we probably missed a secret door let's go look but but you're right it makes it way easier if it's theater of the mind because you can kind of dictate as a dm whether they've completed everything or not um Mm -hmm. versus this pre-planned out map i will say i think most of the games um i mean we're most of them playing right now are modules of some kind uh one is a full homebrew world um but everything else is module but but across even the module ones it's still a hybrid theater of the mind map based, right? Like yeah. when you're in combat or you're in a dungeon, like in Tomb of Annihilation, once we're in the Tomb of Annihilation, it's all mapped out. But like until you get to the tomb, you're a pretty open world. And it's mostly, it's all theater of the mind until you hit combat. And then, you know, the DM may or may not have like some ready to go, like forest setting or yeah. desert <laughs> setting or whatever to go. But, um, uh, but yeah, like in the dungeon, since this question is about doors in dungeons specifically, uh, yeah, in the dungeon, if you're using maps, they're usually, I mean, the folks that I know that use maps are using maps. So the doors are all there. But yeah. it's not an architectural map in that, like it has kind of the, the swing of the door and things, right? No, so you still right, have yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, Right. Or, I guess, are they using... Old, old um, school maps would often have like the door swing. Oh, they would. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Not so much, not so much anymore about that. Yeah, and I think you, uh, Andy, brought up right at the base of this question the this idea that 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 amount of detail really is necessary um, to have. Right, like you're going to approach a door differently if it opens in or out. Absolutely, you are. And yeah, I mean, not everyone will ask that question, but lots of times they will, and you got to have an answer ready when they do. You know, and it totally matters, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah, and so, um, and that's where I guess it's like that, that fundamental, like, what's the goal of the, what's the goal of the table <laughs> to have fun and have a cool improv session? And so the, the answer is always yes and. Like, yeah. if somebody says, does it open in the, and you haven't thought of an answer, my go-to is always yes. Yeah. Does. Yeah. So like, let's see where you, basically you're saying like, let's see where you're going with this yeah. because I didn't have an idea and you do, so. Go with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then if I need to adjust the the encounter or whatever accordingly, I have a little bit of time to do that. But, um, you know, it's like, yeah, yes, and. I guess that's the – if somebody asks a question that I don't know the answer to, the answer is usually yes. Unless it's something really like, can I, can I have that minotaur's head? <laughs> like, no, <laughs> you can't have it. Uh, yeah. But if it's like, you know, a detailed thing like that, it's like – yeah, where are you going with this? Like, mm-hmm. somebody asked, like, is there a chandelier in the room? Like, I'm yeah. going to say yes, because I want, yeah. I really do want to see where they're going with that. Yeah, for right? sure. Like, you're going to do something cool on that chandelier. Absolutely. Oh. Is the door made of metal? Yeah, sure. Where are you going with this? Oh, I'm going to use heat metal and do some cool stuff, right? And like, okay, cool. Because, like, saying no doesn't progress, right? Like, saying yes doesn't hurt your like needs as a dm at all it actually makes your job a little easier and saying no like what does that really do for us as dm yeah right like not much so it invites the immediate why question it's like no yeah well why right like and then it's (laughs) like well i don't really know why i just don't want to do it you know (laughs) it's probably why you said no (laughs) yeah yeah i guess there's times when like saying yes if there's like a a serious consequence for it where you can be like are you sure you want to keep metal on that door (laughs) I was going to zoom zoom out a little bit on this question away from the tactical how to use doors and just mention that one of my favorite things to do as a GM is to challenge people to find their way into a dungeon or a castle or, or the environment. I, whenever possible, I try not to start with them right at the main entrance. I start by letting them approach the area where they know the dungeon is or the castle or the the mansion or whatever it is. And I have a couple of adventures like that I've run repeatedly as one shots almost entirely because they have multiple and really creative 
ways to get into the adventure area, and I love seeing PCs like solve the riddle of how do I how do I get into this place? So how do I get into this mansion that it appears to have no um, you know accessible entryways? I, I'm just curious if that's something you guys have experienced. Do you, when people are visiting a dungeon, is it usually a pretty straightforward manner of there's a dungeon and there's the entrance, it's pretty obvious, or do the PCs have to find the doors in? Yeah, almost always there's a there's a challenge to getting in. I think that's mm-hmm. a, a fairly standard. Even in the modules from WotC, they're very... Yeah, Tomb of Annihilation, you definitely don't want to walk in the front door. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Just a little spoiler alert, <laughs> yeah. don't walk in the front door. Uh, I think that's probably pretty obvious. Um so, so that's like a buildup for like three sessions ahead of when you get there. You're, you're finding clues to this, like, you know, to how to get into this thing. I'm probably the whole game up until that point, the whole module up until that point is trying to figure out how to get into this thing, really. Yeah, if you think about movies, you know, uh, like in Indiana Jones or something, sometimes, uh, like sometimes the tomb or whatever it is they're going into, there isn't really all that much to it. And most of the drama is around how do we get through this door? How do we crack the mechanism to you know open the the entrance to the tomb or whatever and then the tomb itself is just kind of a one room you know set piece um you know but in D, of course there's usually a lot more than just a single destination room behind a door it's usually a bigger thing but yeah but i think you're absolutely right uh, in that getting in to an whether it's getting into the dungeon itself or even just getting through a door to bring us down to the question does involve a lot more uh, a lot more improv and a lot more character and a lot more RP than and a lot more strategy than once you're in the hallway or in mm-hmm. the tomb and you're you know quite almost literally being railroaded in some cases you're on a minecart and yeah. you're being railroaded <laughs> right and like I think it's yeah you're absolutely right I think that the getting in whether it's into the area or into the tomb itself or into the castle itself is or the is the point at which there is this you know yeah there's a broader option set right as opposed to you can go left or right and by the way the left way is a dead end with a monster and the right way is the way we need you to go uh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah how do you guys handle the, the sort of routine behaviors that players uh, often go through when they come to a door like sort of the set we check, we check it for traps, you know, we, we test it. We, Rogue, we try to pick it. Yeah, we touch yeah. it with our with a quarterstaff from a distance. You know, how do you hand, do you guys abstract that? Do you, do, are, are your doors often trapped, trapped enough that your players, like, go through this little ritual before they open any door? How does that work? Yeah, so I actually, I'm going to defer to the way, uh, so Brad... Uh, Brad is a DM in two of the games I'm in, and then he plays in the other two. So every game I'm in right now, Brad is involved in some way. Um, <laughs> and Brad does a great job of of inconsistent returns, right? Like, that is the essence of hmm. keeping it interesting to me. Like, he does such a great job of... He describes every single door with the same intensity, right? Hmm. Like, yeah. he'll go the same level of detail... He'll make it just as important as every other door you've ever seen. And most of them just open. <laughs> like yeah. 90% of them are fine. Like yeah. he'll be, and somebody will be like, I try to open the door. And he'll be like, it opens. Yeah. And there's <laughs> nothing on the other side. And then, and then somebody's like, I check for traps. He's like, there's no traps. And you know, it's like, let's roll right in. And it's like, but the, but the, the description of the door, because it's the level of detail that everybody... So it's like, if, you, if you're just like, and there's a door, people are like, I'll open it. But if you're like, the door is heavy wood with a carved inlay of a demon's head and like all... And then like, yeah, it just opens, man. Yeah, it invites attention. Yeah, for sure. But then sometime, like one out of every eight times that you open that door, it's like you're... You're trapped in a sphere of force and cannot escape. <laughs> oh God! Um, so it's you'd think that that would lead the party to overanalyze everything, right? Because you're just constantly looking for that one, so that it would grind things down. But it really doesn't because he's so consistent with it that you don't take it out of turn when when he's doing that level yeah. of detail. You just you know you approach every door with strategy and you approach every every seam in the 
mm-hmm. in play with strategy um, and you don't tend to overdo it. And usually there's somebody in the party that's impatient anyway, whether it's their character or their player uh, or both. And, and they're going to push things along as it is. And so so it really does balance out. I think that's uh, – so I guess the word is like consistency. Uh, consistency in your inconsistency yeah. with what whether that door is going to be trapped or whether that door is going to going to be epic or not. There's obviously certain contexts that matter, like, you know – whether we're in a dangerous area versus a not dangerous area, you know, mm-hmm. if you're in a, if you're in the hospital helping people out, uh, after the battle, like you're probably can walk through doors and you're not too worried about it. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, he treats every door the same and it, it really does. It, it makes it super fun. He's kind of trained you as players to, you know, the way he wants you to approach these because there's a way, there's ways that you could GM situations like that poorly where, you train, you know, over several months, you train your players to to know that they never really ever have to check doors for traps. And then one day you spring a nasty trap on them. That can feel unfair. But the way he does it, it right. you know, yeah, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Well, and, it, and it's also just like good story building and world building, right? Like he's just treating every detail the same as opposed to picking favorites with his details, right? And And that's just fun whether we were talking about traps and doors or not, right? Like that's just mm-hmm. a good, that's just a good way to run a game, right? Where you're treating, treating every scene the same. You just put, put the same level of detail into every room. Um, if you describe one room in super detail, everybody's going to be like, we're totally getting ambushed here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you want to be able to describe a room where you're going to get ambushed in detail because you, that's what's fun about combat, right? Is that, mm-hmm you have a lot of details you can bring into the play and do some interesting things. Right. And so if you're just describing every room that doesn't matter too simply, then when you get to the room that does, it's going to really stick out. So you really, to make the room that does matter important and to make the door that does matter important, you have to make them all important, I guess is the, the catch, right? Well, we should, uh, we should wrap it up. We've been going for a little bit at this point. Who knew? Well, I guess we knew that talking about doors was going to take this long. <laughs> no, it's a great question. Jess, uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Jess for that question. Uh, terrifying up front, but an absolute core essence to the game. It's so good. Yeah. Yes. We, we might just Love leave it. it on the table. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question. And, and, and I, I don't know this person, but I am a big fan of hers. Mm-hmm for recognizing that that is a great question, despite the fact that I'm sure a lot of people told her it was not. And she's like, no, it's good. Trust me. Yeah. Well, from now on, this is, this is the podcast about doors and dungeons. So uh, yeah, Yeah. every every other week we'll have a new guest on to talk about how they handle doors. Um, yeah, well, uh, joking aside though, we are going to replace this topic as good as it is <laughs> with something new. Um, so Al, I don't know if we told you about this, but what we like to do is when we use a topic, we like to have our current guests who just talked about that topic, replace uh, it with one of their own. Do you have a topic that you want to add to the table that some other poor, unfortunate soul will have to talk about? Absolutely. Because, and now this, I feel like this might be a really obvious one. So it's probably one that you've already had a number of times. But we ta- We just had a big discussion uh, at the office with James about this the other day. I think it's a super big, uh, a super big problem for tables, really, and for players. They like wrestle with how to deal with this, um, which is how to play a dumb character. Huh. <laughs> okay. So your character is kind of dumb, and so the question was that we got, or that James came up with, is he's he's playing like this sailor, and by dumb. And so the, the, my answer to it was like, or my take on it is like, you, you're just slightly dumber than if you have like a 10 intelligence or a nine intelligence or an eight intelligence, you're not dumb. You're mm-hmm. just slightly dumber than the godlike individuals you're traveling with, yes, right? Yeah, like yeah. you're still significantly smarter than like me. Yeah. So his question was, was like, Hey, I'm playing and I know what the party should do. Like, I've picked up on the clues. Mm-hmm. I know what we should do. But my character is too dumb to suggest that. And I'm like, absolutely not. Like, you are... Your question is, how... If you know as a player, then your character also knows. So, like, how how do you present that, right? Like, your question is not, would my character know? Your question is, how would my character go about giving that answer? 
Um, but there's different takes on that. Like some people yeah. think dumb characters just should not exist in D and D. Some people think that mm-hmm. dumb characters are obnoxious and annoying and you just shouldn't play them at all. Uh, so, so yeah. So I would say like, how do you handle both as a DM and as a player? How do you handle a dumb character? I, that's a fantastic topic and no, it has not come up yet. So this is, this is a good one to add. Um, well, thank you so much, Al, for coming on. Uh, really appreciate it. This was great. And yeah, we wish you all the success in the last couple of days of the Kickstarter and then with whatever guild does next, of course, but yeah. Yeah. So we're on October 26th. We are launching a software platform that will help everyone play more, which is pretty much all I care about. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I just want to play more, and we think that this will help people play more. Uh, so, yeah. So, Ann Arbor is going to be geo-restricted to Ann Arbor for the first couple weeks, probably month or so. And then we're going to roll out 10 more cities. So, but, yeah, Ann Arbor is launching on October 26th. Uh, but That's you great. have to get an invite. Um, you don't have to come to the party to get an invite. Um, and Grand Rapids, it's southeast central michigan it's your we'll include you <laughs> okay uh it's fine we need we need to get 10 dms actively using it for the alpha yeah. phase so like, yeah, see what happens yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. um so you're in andy right, we awesome. won't leave you out yeah and that's our whole goal is like we just want to play more so we think this yeah. this will help yeah that's great all right well um again yeah thank you so much for coming um so i've been chris salzman i've been andy Rao. And remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM.